Some of you heard the teaching of the woman at the well when Jesus, he looked into her, her heart. He knew everything that uh, she had done. She'd been married many times. She was really a, an outcast. She came to get water when everybody else was gone because she didn't want to hear them talking about her, everything that they had to say about her. Jesus had an encounter with her. He set up a time. It wasn't just by accident. It was a divine appointment, the way he works things in our lives. And then verse 30, it says, They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him some food? Jesus said, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you had not worked for. Others have done that, that hard work, the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that said, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. The disciples were just focused on, hey, you know, on their work. They were fo focused on being disciples, being with Jesus. They'd been with him. They'd worked hard. They'd been out, and they were hungry, so they went to do, take care. And they were doing good stuff. I mean, they, they were doing what they needed to do. They were going to get some food, and they were bringing it back to Jesus. But uh, they didn't see what Jesus saw, and, and they weren't feeling what Jesus felt. And Jesus was trying to get them to feel and to see things a little differently. In, John chapter, or in Joel chapter 3, it says, Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Verse 14 in Joel 3, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. People, we're living that scripture. Multitudes multitudes it says in the valley of decision he says there in Joel swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe come trample the grapes for the the wine press is full and the vats overflow so great is their wickedness we're living in a time when we're seeing uh, we just it's amazing what's happening in our culture today uh, Christian values on one hand, praise God for, it seems like they're, they're making more movies, you know, when they made the movie God's Not Dead. Uh, it seems like they, they saw where you could make a movie for three or $400,000 and make several million dollars off of that. So that's kind of got the attention of, of those that make movies. They, they're seeing that they're, you know what, that there's a good market between Christian people, that there's more Christians than they thought. Who would have thought that? One sad thing about that is that that proves that we're the sleeping giant and uh, nobody had a clue how many of us there are around. 
The other sad thing is that we're seeing so openly on television and in movies this the open and blatant display of homosexuality and various just things that are, are contrary to the Word of God to try to impose tolerance upon us. And you know, the thing is, is that when we're like Christ, God doesn't hate the sinner. He just hates the sin. And that's the way we are. Tolerant, we, we're tolerant in the sense that we, we love everyone. Everyone, with the attitude of the Father, it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And so we should love everyone. We should love the sinner, but hate the, the sin. The disciples, they didn't want to go to Samaria because they hated the Samaritans. And they were, you know, the Samaritans, as far as they were concerned, were, concerned, were a bunch of sinners, and, you know, and uh, they weren't people of God. And... The disciples, they were wanting this closed group of themselves and like-minded people. You know, church, where are we today? Where's the body of Christ today? Are we like that? Um, or then it goes to the other extreme and we dumb down the gospel and it's message that penetrates hearts and convicts men and women of sin. And, uh, you know, with the attempt to try to to, to pull that down a little bit because conviction, we don't want anybody to be convicted. You know, they might feel uncomfortable. How many of you, whenever you got saved and you heard the gospel and that penetrating message and, and began to reveal to you that you needed a, a, a savior, felt a little uncomfortable? I did. <laughs> I felt a little uncomfortable. Heart started beating. You know, there is that because we have to come face to face with the fact that the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. So we're living in a time when literally multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near, uh, near in the valley of decision. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 says, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? That's still the question today that God is asking us. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? he was standing here today, which I believe he is in the presence of his Holy Spirit, asking that question, what would your answer be? In Matthew chapter 9, kind of in a parallel to this topic, uh, you might turn there, Matthew 9, verse 37, 38, Jesus once again begins to talk about this very important topic of the harvest, and he says to his disciples in, in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. How often do you think about the harvest? How often do you pause and think about the harvest? I think it was something that was on the mind of Jesus all the time. But he had to constantly remind his disciples of that. Not only should we be thinking about it, but here's another question that the Holy Spirit, I believe, is saying to the church today is, do you have a strategy for a spiritual harvest? Do you think about the harvest enough that you've actually got a strategy for the spiritual harvest? On some Wednesday nights, Tim Olaf has been talking, and he's been talking about evangelism and the Christian starter kits, and he sees uh, the homeless or the people on the street, and he's got a plan. He's got a strategy where he's within 20 two seconds or whatever, he's got it down. I mean, he's got it down to the second of how long he has to be able to present the gospel and be able to 
uh, harvest, bring forth a harvest. We need to have a strategy for the harvest. But some of us don't even know what the harvest is. We don't recognize the harvest. We wouldn't recognize the harvest if it slapped us in the face. <laughs> because of the fact that we think that maybe being a Christian is just you know, coming once or maybe twice and just doing our duty. And that's of coming. And that's a big deal. And, I, and God appreciates that. He, he appreciates your sacrifice that you made today to be able to get here. That's, it's the hardest day of the week to, to get to, to anywhere is Sunday and to come to church. And so he appreciates that. And it shows our devotion and our love and our honor for him. And he loves that. But he also then he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He wants to say something to us. The reason he wants us here, he wants us here to worship him. But in that worship, that we would let down ourselves and our barriers and be able to have an ear to hear what he's saying. Do you know that the initial call to the disciples, the initial call of Jesus Christ to men and women was to be spiritually reproductive? That's the very first thing he said in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Jesus said this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The very first thing and the assignment that he gave was, come on, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to begin to produce fruit. You're going to, have, you know, you're going to be fishers of men. His command that uh, uh, there, then in the great, the great commission at the end of his ministry, you know, he started out saying, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then at the end of his ministry, once again, he reinforced that through the great commission and he said in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the very first thing that Jesus started out with in, in commissioning was, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I want you to be spiritually reproductive. And the last thing that he said is, go and bring forth fruit. Do you think it was important to him? You think it's still important to him? You think he's changed? Oh, things have changed. Well, I don't think the word changes. God says, I change not. His commission and his purpose is still the same. We need to catch that. We've come through this Easter, we're coming through this Easter season, and we ought to be mindful of what was important to, to Christ and his commissioning to us. Again, he said there, Matthew, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. It's a great harvest out there, but those that are really willing to be a labor in the harvest are very few. That doesn't mean that there's just a few Christians. It means that those that are really... Um, ready to make a commitment and to be a laborer in the harvest, they're very few. Back to John chapter 4, our text today. Skip down to about verse 35. Really, verse 35 is the heart of that text. There's a lot of applications out of that whole story there. Of course, just even with the woman at the well and Jesus, his talk with her, his encouragement to her and various things. And also the great harvest that was produced by him being there a couple of days. But look at verse 35. And he says, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you to open your eyes and look at the fields. 
they are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. So even now, the rewards are being paid as you harvest, as you bring forth the harvest, the reaper draws his wa wages. Even now, the harvest, uh, even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So right now we're living in a time when we're sowing seed, but we're also reaping it at the harvest at the same time. And so we can rejoice together that we're planting the word, but yet we're getting somebody saved at the same time. And there's this thing that's happening and we can see that we're living in the kingdom of God. And we're members of that, and we ought to be workers in this harvest. When Jesus spoke to his followers about the, the vision, this vision for the harvest, he really outlined five steps that I, I find in this one verse to enable them to receive the vision. Do you have a vision for harvest? I call it the ups and maybe not so much the downs of the harvest field of the vision of the harvest. The, first, the very first thing, basically, the very first up would be shut up. <laughs> he, he, said, he said, do you not say, he said, you know what? You talk a lot about harvest, but you're not doing it. He said, do you not say? The very first thing he said, well, you know, why don't you just shut up and go do it? Stop talking about it and just go do it. Uh, there's a story that I heard many years ago. I've shared it in a lot of different, script, uh, a lot of different sermons. You've probably heard it before, but uh, I mean, I'm going to tell it again because I like it. <laughs> there was this little fishing community, and uh, they got to noticing that there was this one particular guy who had this little old aluminum boat, little motor back behind, you know. And when he'd come in, he'd have a whole boat full of fish. And other people would be coming in. They might have two or three fish on a stringer, and they get to be both curious and suspicious. So the game warden comes down. All you fishermen can, uh, you know, as you take a deep breath. And he says, I'm going with you fishing. Now, how would you like to have the game warden go along with you? Some of you are okay, you know, with that. But anyway, he says, I'm going fishing with you. The guy said, well, get in. So here they go. Man, they take off, go back around, go into this little cove. And uh, the guy, the old man stops his boat, throws out the anchor, and, and the game warden's looking around. He says, only thing in the boat's one little black box, one little black tackle box. No fishing poles, no nothing. You know, one little black box. So the game warden's like, what's up with this? The old man goes over, opens up that box, and inside there's all these sticks of dynamite. He opens the stick of dynamite, he lights it. Holds it down to the fuse is just about spent. He throws it out there. By the time it hits the water, boom, fish come up. <laughs> we used to do that with M80s. Some of you probably don't know what M80s are, but kind of stun them a little bit, you know, when I lived on Lake Texoma. Man, he, gets, he starts netting in these fish. You know, he's taking a dip net. He's netting in all these fish. So he picks up another stick of dynamite, lights it. And he hands it to the guy, and he's, oh, well, the, well, the game warden said, wait a minute, you can't do that. You, that's against the law. You can't fish like that. And so he, you know, has another stick of dynamite. By the time he throws it in, boom, here it goes again. And here come the fish. The guy's netting them in. And all the time, the old man's working. The game warden's just talking. And he's telling him how he can't do that and what laws this and that and all that. That's not the way you're supposed to do it. Finally, the old guy, he lights another stick of dynamite, takes it over, hands it to him. He said, now, you going to talk or are you going to fish? We need to get the power, the dynamite of God's word in our hands. And we need to not just talk about it, 
We need to use it. We need to be spiritually productive. That's basically what Jesus was saying, you know. Are you going to talk or are you going to fish? I've called you to be fishers of men. I've called you to go into the harvest. The harvest is ripe. You know, many believers just spend more time talking about the harvest than they spend actually out bringing in the harvest. You know, they're like the labor crew. I read, I, I jotted this down, it's like the labor crew that they would uh, gather together and they would talk about the harvest and, and they would say things. They, they gather into the barn, they come into the barn and uh, they would talk about the harvest and they'd, they'd go every Sunday to the barn and, uh, uh, you know, and they would study bigger. And let me just share this as I jotted it down. They'd study bigger and better methods of agriculture for the harvest now that they could get a bigger harvest. They'd sharpen their harvesting sickles and then go home. Then some would even come back in the middle of the week at a weeknight and they'd study better methods of agriculture, sharpen their sickles even more, and then they would go home. They'd come back for uh, other special meetings sometimes. I mean, you know, a few might come back and they would again study bigger and better methods, sharpen their sickles, and then go home. And they'd do that week after week until weeks turned into months and the months turned into years. Yet nobody ever goes out to the field to gather in the harvest. And that's pretty much the picture of the church. We come to the barn, we come to the church, you know, once a week, sometimes twice a week, some others three times a week. Study bigger and better methods. You know, how can we grow a bigger crop or whatever? But Nobody actually goes into the field to do it. When Jesus said, do you not say, he meant that talking about spiritual harvest is not enough. If you're not doing it, we've got to become involved in the actual harvesting process. Get involved in the actual harvesting process. A lot of people think that the Christian life is boring. And you know why it is? Because all they're doing is talking about the harvest instead of actually doing it. You know, you can talk about fishing. You can watch channels on cable TV about fishing. You can watch, I don't even know who the people are now. I used to, you know, and you can see different things. But till you get out there and when you feel a big old redfish hit that line and pull on it, and you snag that hook and you set that hook and you start to reel them in, you've got some, and you can feel it through your hands and it goes, that's when it gets exciting. Isn't that right? How many fishermen we got in here? That's when it gets exciting. Used to like to do ultralight fishing and we'd go up into Missouri to uh, Roaring River and, they, and I'd never fish like that. I'd, I'd always fish freshwater fishing, at least, you know, eight, ten pound test. They'd use two pound tests. You could break it like that. Little tiny fly, you know, on the end of it, fish for rainbow trout. Some of those trout were huge. And with that ultralight rod in your hand, you can feel the slightest movement. You put a little minnow on that thing, you can feel it. And it goes all through your hands and your arm. When you get what they call a lunker on there, man, it's exciting. And that's what it's all about. I mean, do we want to just talk about it? Or do you want to actually feel the sensation and the excitement of it on the hook? And that's what Jesus was trying to say to him. You know, you talk about harvest, but you're not doing it. No wonder you're not getting excited about it. You know, we've got to get involved in some way into the harvest so that we begin to get that excitement, that enthusiasm. There's nothing like experiencing a friend or a loved one or even a stranger when they come to Christ 
when they get on that hook. That's exciting. The second thing, this, the second point is, is he says, uh, well, he says, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? So first he says, shut up. Stop talking about it and do it. The second thing he says is get up. He says, don't you say four months more and then the harvest? We think that there's a snooze button on this Christian life that, you know, when, when Jesus speaks to us, maybe Sunday morning or when we're talking about it, that's, we get all stirred up about it, but we hit the snooze button and we go back to sleep. He says, do you not say four months more? But he says, no, I'm saying it's ready now. You keep wanting to push it back, push it back four more months. Just, just you know, a little bit further back. Can I get 15 more minutes of sleep? Pink. You know, can't we wait just a little bit longer? Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? Charles Swindoll, on his writing on the, living on the ragged edge, he says this. He said, let's pretend that your banker phoned you late last night and said that he had some very good news. He told you that an anonymous donor who loves you very much has decided to deposit 86,400 pennies into your account each morning starting the following Monday morning. Now, that's $864 a day. Seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year, you're getting $864 for each one of the days. He adds, he goes on to say, but there's one stipulation. You must spend all that money that same day. No balance will be carried over to the next day. Each evening, the, the bank must cancel whatever sum that you failed to use. It's all gone. You have to spend it that day. With a big smile, after you've heard this report, you know, you're all excited. He goes on to say, he says, you thank your banker and hang up. And over that weekend, you have time to plan. You grab a pencil and start figuring. 864 uh, times 7 equals $6,000 a week. Times 52, that's almost $315,000 a year that you have available to you if you are diligent to spend each, or to spend it, every bit of it, each day. Remember, whatever that you get and whatever you don't spend is forfeited. Some of you say, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> I see some, some of you ladies like, is that all? <laughs> then he goes on and says, um, he says, let's get real. That's what Charles Swindoll says in his writing here on this Living on the Ragged Edge. He said, that's pretend. He said, now let's get real. Let's get serious. He said, every morning, someone who loves you very much deposits deposits into your bank, your bank of time, 86,400 seconds of time, which represents 1,440 minutes, which of course equals 24 hours each day. Now you've got to remember that the same stipulation applies because God gives you this amount of time for, for you to use each day. Nothing's carried over, it's never carried over. On credit to the next day, there is no such thing as a 26-hour day, although sometimes we try to make it that way. And from today's dawn until tomorrow's dawn, you have precisely deter that determined amount of time, 86,400 seconds, 1,440 
minutes, you have 24 hours in each day. Every one of us are the same. Jesus had the same amount of time as what you and I have. And you know what? We're responsible for it. The Bible says that we are to redeem the time for the days are evil. If there ever was, or if that scripture was ever true, it really is today because the days are evil. Someone has said that life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want to, but you can't you can only spend it once. And that's the way our time is. You can spend it any way you want to, but you can only spend it once. You never get it back. To be, in order to be a part of this harvest that Jesus was talking about, you can't d delay it. You can't say, well, four more months, and then I'll get out and work in the harvest. You know, as Jesus called, there was one who said, well, let me go and do this, and then I'll come follow you. And, well, when I bury my father... Uh, I'll come. And he said, well, let the dead bury the dead. People said, boy, Jesus was crude. No, what that meant in that Jewish custom was when my father passes away and I have his estate and his money, you know, then I'll come. It didn't mean that his dad was sick and he was going to die that day or the next week or didn't know. No, his father was very healthy and doing great. It's sometimes like, well, when I get my retirement or when I get this or when I hit the lotto or when I, you know, we always have four months more and then we'll go in the harvest. When this happens, when that happens, when I get a little of this, when I get a little of that, when the kids get out of Little League, why? I, I found out that's the best place to, to witness is when you're sitting there, you know, the, the what do they call the little minor football league and stuff like that. Uh, me and Cullen Bentley used to sit there and, and, and watch the kids play football. Man, there's plenty of people to talk, talk to there. You can, you know, why wait until this time or that? That's what Jesus is saying. You can't delay it. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 4 says this, a sluggard does not plow in season, or a sluggard who does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. If you don't start now, when it's your time to stand before the Lord, then you won't have anything to present to him. You can't wait until some future time to become um, involved in the harvest because the harvest is right now. Souls are dying now. Uh, for many, tomorrow will be too late. You know, if we could define time, one person defined time as this. He said it's the habitual expenditure of the stewardship of life. So we do get in a habit of spending our time in a particular way. And Jesus is just simply saying, hey, look at your habits. Shut up. Stop talking about it. And get up, get involved in it. Don't keep putting it off. You know, all of these, this time, every second that we're given, every minute, every hour, every day, it's really not our time, but it's God's time. Because we don't know how much time we have, do we? And more importantly, we don't know how much time that person that we might come in contact has as well. Joel chapter 3, jot this down, verse 13 and 14. Remember, I read it a while ago. He says, swing the sickle. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. I believe that that's true. Well, step number three, in that same verse there, in John chapter 4, verse 35, he goes on and then he says, first he says, do you not say, he says, you know, here you're talking about it, four more months, and then, you know, we're going to put it off for a little while. So he says, shut up, get up, and then on here he says, listen up. Because he says, I tell you. 
So after he told him this, he said, I'm telling you something here. You know, listen to me. And I think the question comes back to, to us, what are you hearing today? Even in the book of Revelation, it says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. We hear certain things, don't we? We have selective hearing. Isn't it amazing how we can tune certain things out? But sometimes it looks like we're doing something, and, and they'll say, well, did you even hear what I said? Yeah, and we're going to repeat it back, you know. I mean, it's kind of amazing, this, this process of listening or hearing. And God's saying, he's saying, listen up. And that's what Jesus was saying. I, I tell you, I tell you that you need to do this. Listen up. Listen to what I have to say. You know, God's ways are different than our ways. We need to listen to what he has to say. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we better listen to him. We need to listen up. Because we're liable to see some technique. If I went to, when we lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, we got invited to go fish. This guy found out that I grew up on Lake Texoma. He said, well, so you like to fish? And I said, well, yeah, you know, as long as they're biting. And I kind of got a little spoiled. And he said, well, let's go. And so, you know, this was his territory. This was his honey holes. And so we got out there. I got to looking. And he put on a, a red jig. How many of you know, y'all, some of you fishermen know what a jig is. Had a yellow tail. And then he hooked a, a black-headed minnow on that. Now, I'd never seen that happen before. You know, you just put a jig on. I, we used to put two together, throw them out there, and they kind of trail, trail down, and you hit them a little time and make some movement, and the fish would look like, you know, and they'd hit that. You know, maybe they hit the last one because they think that they're in a group. This guy put a black-headed minnow on a red-head jig with a yellow tail. I'm going, but what am I going to do? I find me a, a red-headed uh, jig with a yellow tail, and I grab one of them black-headed minnows, and I throw out, he throws out, I want to make sure I don't tangle up the guy's line so that he didn't leave me there, you know, and, and I throw out there, and boy, boom, he catches, and we were, we were fishing for crappie. Man, he brings in a crappie. It's not three or four seconds later, boom, I got a crappie. We're reeling in. We're catching fish. Two other guys in the boat, Pastor Tom Scott and his son Brian, and Brian studied it all out. He knew all the techniques, he'd read, he reads all the magazines, watches all the shows, and he's still struggling with tackle. He's got some rig over there. And I, you know, we've already caught two fish each, and he still hadn't even got a hook in the water. He finally gets all rigged up, he never catches a fish. And some fancy thing he bought, I'm like, I'm watching this old man. This old man fishes every day, he knows what's up. I'm gonna listen to him, what he has to say. This is the guy that knows how to fish. Let me tell you something, Jesus knows about the harvest. So whenever he gets ready to throw a hook in the water, you better listen to what he has to say. It might not look like that's what it ought to be, and it might not sound like that that's the way that you ought to do it. It might not make any sense to you. You might not have ever done it that way before, but if that's what he says to do to catch fish, that's what we're there to do is catch fish, right? I didn't go for a boat ride. <laughs> I didn't go for a sunburn. <laughs> we went to catch fish. And so he's saying, listen, listen up. I'm telling you something here. See, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And he goes on, he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. You know, um, the disciples' behavior in this chapter 4 is, is just pretty amazing. You know, they were more concerned about the physical food than the spiritual food. And sometimes the distractions of this world can 
really catch our attention more than the spiritual things that God's trying to tell us. And so sometimes it takes a little discipline to listen. How I many you know what about that? Because there's so many things coming at us, so many things happening, that we have to discipline ourselves to really hear, to listen. And so while the disciples were out buying food, which was a good thing, Jesus was fishing. He was about the harvest. He was winning souls. And that was a better thing. So some things are good things, but there are some things that are better things. You know, the disciples, you know, coming to Samaria, you know, they probably already said, you know, well, we're going to, we won't ever win anybody there. You know, these people, they're hard-hearted and they're hard-headed and, and they're our enemies and we're not going to, we're not going to win any souls there. Let's just go on and get through this place as, as quick as possible. But Jesus told them, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Sometimes we don't even enter into the harvest because we don't think that that's the harvest field. You know, um, he didn't allow personal prejudice or physical needs to hinder him. He was just as tired, just as hungry, and he knew these people just as well as his disciples did, but he didn't allow any of those things to hinder him from the harvest. You know, he met this woman uh, in a friendly way. You know, he, he befriended her. He didn't take any prejudgment there. And, you know, he didn't force her into this decision. He just talked to her. Sometimes we think that if we're going to witness, we've got to go out with a 30-pound Schofield. We're going to beat Jesus into somebody. Or we've got to get a megaphone and a sign and stand on the corner and, you know, holler at people and tell them how low life they are or whatever. Or not even that. Maybe we just don't want to talk to anybody whether it's our office or whatever, because, you know, we are Christians and they wouldn't understand anyway. And this, you know, I've known that person forever and, and that's the way they are and that's the way they're always going to be and they'll never change. And we've already ruled them out for, for a part of the harvest. You know, he used wisdom. He wisely guided the conversation uh, and um, he allowed the word, his word, to take effect in her heart. You know, we can learn a lot if we just listen to Jesus. He says, I, I want to tell you something. And he said, listen to me. You know, come with love and compassion. Have a passion for the harvest. And with wisdom, he told them to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, you know. Uh, he used wisdom to guide the conversation around, to bring it into a natural form of where that was the word and they were ready to hit that, that hook. You know, he dealt with her privately as well. Some people think that, you know, they're going to embarrass somebody into the kingdom. No. He dealt with her privately and lovingly, and he presented the way of salvation. And he captured her attention because he talked about uh, something that they had in common. He started talking about the water that they were drawing. And he knew why she would, had come there late. You know, there's been many times as we've talked to people, whether on the mission field or whatever, just something in common. You know, a common conversation. And what people start up saying, whatever. And out of a natural conversation, you can use wisdom. Ask God to give you wisdom and direct them right into the kingdom of God. I was laying in the hospital bed a few months ago. I think you guys uh, knew about it. And um, 
I was, this is when I had a perforated bowel. I was ready to get out. I knew Jesus had healed me, and I was feeling good, and they just didn't know it yet, and I couldn't understand why I had to be in. I had already been in there all that week. I couldn't understand why do I have to be in here on Sunday. Lord, I, I want to be at church. I don't want to be in this hospital bed on Sunday morning. I should have been out of here. Everything's fine, but they wanted to insure and give me some more antibiotics and stuff like that. So about 7 o'clock, that's when my doctor walked in to my room and I was surprised that he came in. We started a conversation out of something just uh, that he noticed there about ISIS and the crisis that's going on, the, as I called it, the ISIS crisis. And that was back a few months ago when you know, we were preaching on some things like the road to Armageddon and various things. And he began to ask some questions and he said, you know, I never really took that much history. And so as he would ask the question, I would try to gently throw in enough information to entice the question, a little more questions about that and uh, was able to sit there and talk to this doctor for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, which was totally amazing because usually they're in and out in five minutes. And him asking questions, and you know, he even asked me, uh, he says, well, you ever heard of this rapture thing? <laughs> and I said, well, yes I have. He says, my daughter went away to a camp one time and she came back talking about rapture, rapture, rapture. What's that all about? I'm thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> if I wanted to have that conversation, if I would have blurted into his office thinking, I'm, I'm going to get this guy and I'm going to witness to him because he's, he's not saved, he's an atheist, he'd never, and all this stuff, I'd have, we would never have the conversation. But we need to listen to, how, to what Jesus has to say and, and how he went about doing it. And he talked about everyday situations, but there's something different. And people, we're different. And what we have is better and that we have life within us. And let that come through. Be salt and light is what he told us to do. And let it come through our conversation in a loving, friendly way. Not a threatening, persecuting, you know, you're worthless type thing. And I'm better than you attitude. Is anybody going to listen to you when you have that kind of attitude? No. He spoke the truth to her in love. And he told her. That's what she said. He told me everything I ever did how many husbands she had had and all the stuff that was going on in her life. But he did that in love that she had no doubt this man knew something and he, there was, had to be a supernatural way that he knew it. You know, he, didn't, he didn't avoid speaking about sin, but he did it in a loving and a caring way. And I found my, myself in that same situation that morning that I had in my mind was going through, I went, oh boy, do I go there? Or do I not? I might turn him off, and I thought, no, I'm going to be obedient to the Word of God. But Father, help me to speak this, not only with wisdom, but with love and compassion, that he'll want what you have, what you've given, this eternal life. So, you know, we find this thing, this conversation, as Jesus is coming down to it. He says, shut up, get up, listen up. <laughs> he says, don't just talk about it, this harvest. Don't just put it off. Listen to what I have to say. And the fourth thing I find there is where he says, where he's, you know, the third thing where he said, listen up, he said, I tell you. And then he says, open your eyes. Open your eyes. We need to wise up. We need to open our eyes and see, really look around and, and, and see the harvest. And then we need to wise up and, and have a strategy for the harvest. Do you ever ask God, give me wisdom, Lord, on how to, to win so-and-so to the Lord, to you. Or, you know, give me a strategy. 
give me a vision and pray about it and get a vision and a strategy. Give me wisdom, Lord, on how to go about doing this. And so he says, open your eyes. Look around. You know, get ready for this thing. See the fields are ripe. Open your eyes. Lift up your eyes from the distractions of the world and the, the harvest field and so many things out there where we would say, well, you know, and just write it off. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to see it in a different way. Wise up and see it with compassion the way that I have it. You know, and there's all kinds of things that, that, uh, we, that you have talents and abilities as we all are gathered here today. You know, each one of us individually have certain gifts and talents that, that the other person doesn't. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. You know, I couldn't do what Pastor Paul... Hey, God doesn't want all the preachers, you know. He wants you where you are in the place that you are, the people that you come in contact with. And you say, so you need to say, well, then, Lord, how can you use me? Give me wisdom. I, uh, you know, I, I want to... Open my eyes so I can see how I can go about doing this. If we're going to receive this vision, we've got to rise up. You know, and, and see the, the, the fields today. They're right. How can you use the Internet, for example? Maybe your talent's along that line. You know, our ladies are going to that uh, National Day of Prayer, which is probably going to be... A lot of Christians there, but they're still going to use their talents and abilities through the arts, through dance and, and expression there. Um, you know, we have things available to us, Facebook, and we have homeless people, people under the bridge, or motorcycle ministries. Uh, somebody ought to get some wisdom and ask God to give you wisdom on how to write a video game, you know, video games for kids to play that would be a witnessing testimony or something like that. Ask God to give me wisdom. On, on how I can reach people and reach my generation and reach those that are around me, what I can do in my little office cubicle, you know, to entice someone that, uh, and, uh, that they would ask that I can catch more fish. What can I do? So wise up. He's in. open your eyes. And look around. Uh, the harvest is great here. It's ripe for harvest. We've got to lift up our spiritual eyes and from the natural distractions that would say, well, what's the use? It's no use. Uh, we've got to lift up our eyes and open our eyes from personal problems that we're going through. And it's like, well, you know, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And when I get my stuff worked out, then I'll worry about them or they don't care anyway. And we've got to lift up our eyes and open our eyes from a position of discouragement to a position of how we can turn that around and be able to use that for the glory of God. You know, we're all going to go through something. But the key thing is, is we're going through it. <laughs> There's the other side of that. And as we're going through, Lord, help open, I need to open my eyes. I want to see and get wisdom to know how I can use this for your kingdom. So wise up. And then the fifth thing that he says there, he says, look at the fields. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Look up. Don't be so downcast. He said, look at the fields. Look out around. They're, they're ripe today. So ripe today. There's so many things that are ha taking place. And it doesn't have to be coming at everybody with fear and gloom and doom and, and uh, you know, end of the world thing, which, I mean, I'm not fearful about what's coming. I, it's not gloom. To me, it's happy. I, I'm excited about rapture. I mean, 
Uh, but those things come up, and when people are talking about how bad it is, then you can say, yeah, but here's the thing. It's, it's bad for some people, but that's a great thing because, because when you know Christ, that's not a fearful thing. I'm not worried about that. Turn it around. God can give you wisdom. And we need to look up instead of looking around at all the rubble. In the book of, of Nehemiah, in the fourth chapter, it says that they were assigned to build the wall. And it says when the wall was to half its height, they saw the rubble. You know, they got halfway through it, and then they saw all of They thought, oh, we're only halfway there, and we got all this stuff left. It's kind of like this building project that we're in. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. You know, we feel like we're so close, but yet now we're having to meet in the school. <laughs> you know? Well, that's a cool thing, you know? That's a cool thing to know that, man, we're getting that close. But sometimes, you know, it's like having a car with six years of payments and you get three years into it and then it doesn't smell like it used to smell whenever because you find that Happy Meal that was happy when you bought it, but it's not so happy that the kids forgot and left it under the seat, you know, a year ago. Or, you know, or it, it used to be real nice and shiny, no dents in it, but now somebody at Walmart started banging their car door into it. You know, it's not quite the way it was three years ago, and you still got, you're only halfway through with your payments. You still got another three years. Sometimes we get to looking down, and it pulls us down, and we get discouraged, and we lose our motivation, and we don't see the fields. They're ripe for harvest. We see and hear the garbage that's being poured into us by the news media and everything else, and we need to understand the times that we're living in, but not let it pull us down. We need to look up. The Bible says our redemption draws near. You know, the time is so ripe. The harvest is ripe. He said, look at the fields. Look at the fields. They're ripe to harvest. People, now is the time. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. We need to turn our eyes from the distractions back to the harvest field. You know, uh, are we doing that? Or are we just passing time? The harvest might not look the way that we thought it look, was going to look like, you know. Maybe we think the harvest is all just the homeless. And maybe it is the CEO of some major corporation. Or maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe you thought the harvest was, you know, this and wealth over here and you overlooked this part of the harvest. That's why we need to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus talked to Nehemiah one evening, you know, a rich... Uh, man there, but he also talked to this woman at the well. He didn't have a problem with that. People, let's don't prejudge the harvest. Let's don't put it in a box. Uh, let's look up and say, you know what, this is time that the harvest is ripe. Everybody. And that's why that our motto is, we got the AAA model at, at Light Christian Center. Anybody, anywhere, anytime. <laughs> there, you know, win the lost, develop the saved. But a lot of times we fail to realize the condition of the harvest field of our world. You know, we are living in the, the day of the Laodicean time frame dispensation of where there is a great falling away and, and hearts are more hardened and people really don't have the enthusiasm for Jesus. And we can use all those things for excuses and everything else. And we see that, you know, people are leaving church and they're not, you know, there's not as many people in church as there used to be. And there's all this and all that and all this and all that. He says, ah, look up. He said, look at the fields. The fields are right. Go back one more step. So get a strategy on how we're going to win them. How are we going to get them here? 